The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. The standing is also a very powerful uh, practice. In the history of uh, civil rights in our country, around race, around sexual orientation, around gender, there have been many times in which people have had to stand up for their rights. Stand up and take your place, whether it's for a right to vote or uh, right to be certain places, right to exist. So the story of the Buddha's uh, enlightenment uh, has him primarily sitting, but there's some of part of the story that I think is very relevant for us. So the night of his enlightenment, it said that he sat with this determination. So this determination, like I'm not going to get up until I see into the nature of things, until I awaken. Actually, I just was um, reading the story of um, Rosa Parks and the Montgomery bus boycott. And in her uh, story, she says that you know, she had actually trained for a while with different uh, civil rights groups and um, nonviolent action. But that day, she said, you know, she was told to change, move her seat in the bus uh, as an African-American woman to let the white people sit there. And she said something like, determination um, fell across my body like a quilt on a winter's night. It was just like, boom, you know, I'm not moving. And uh, she said there was four people there in the seats and um, four African-American people and she moved aside like this to let the other guy out, but she was like, I'm staying. You know. And then she even moved into the window seat, and then um, the driver told her that she had to leave or he was going to get her arrested, and she said, basically, like, you do what you have to do, I'm staying. So, so this quality of determination and, and steadiness, you know, and the, the Buddha had this, this quality of determination. He said, yeah, I'm going to stay here. Uh, he, had, he had been on this quest for awakening for understanding the nature of suffering and life for, at this point, uh, seven years, I think it was, in the woods and doing all kinds of practices. And it's said on the night of his awakening that he was assailed by the armies of Mara. So Mara is this character and um, comes up in the Buddhist um, scriptures and he's like sort of the tempter kind of um, character. So at first... The Buddha was assailed by these images of uh, beautiful things. It's like, oh, you could, why are you doing this stupid meditation, enlightenment thing? You know, you could go back to the palace and have beautiful music and sex and food. And, but he, st- he sat steady. He sat through that, right, that onslaught. So he wasn't knocked off his seat by that. And then terrifying things came at him. You know, the images of uh, frightening things that could scare him off his seat. So the worst horror movies you could ever think. And he stayed steady, so he wasn't knocked off his seat. And then the last army of Mara was the army of doubt. And that's actually kind of a quiet voice, subtle voice. It's like, who do you think you are to do this? Who are you to be seeking this? Like, what gives you the right? We all can recognize this voice a little bit, right? And so... Let's see if there's... These statues does not have him doing this, but in some of the statues, it's touching the ground like this. And this mudra is the earth-touching mudra in which 
uh, his response was that the earth bears witness to my right to be here. Like the earth bears witness to my right to know. And in that moment, the doubt was dispelled. and Boom, he was awakened. So it's a dramatic story, but there's some ways in which we can relate to this, I think, in our lives. It's like, well, what knocks us off our seat? You know, what knocks us off our, our stand uh, emotionally or uh, physically? Or, you know, what things that people say to us knock us off balance? What things cause us uh, to lose our composure, our centeredness? Right? And the practice is really a practice of, of learning. So it's helpful to be as honest as possible with yourself about what that is. Uh, and notice that. And it could be something like sleepiness, or it could be restlessness. Or it could be when someone says these following six words to me, I lose it. You know. Uh, so then you notice that, and are like, all right, what is going on there? You know, pay attention, observe. Some, some idea of self is being challenged, or you know, what, is, what is going on? And then we learn from that. You know, we learn from that, and then in that way we're able to... Uh, see through more things, uh, grow and develop. So, uh, saying in the beginning that I, I travel for, you know, for um, teaching Dharma, and that's really the primary thing that I do in my life now is teaching Dharma. So, uh, this last uh, weekend I was in Massachusetts, and um, the flight was late leaving San Francisco, so then it landed late in um, Boston. And uh, we landed, and then we kind of sat there on the runway for a while. And uh, the person next to me was getting kind of agitated about this. And then the pilot said, well, it turns out someone is at our gate. Another plane is at our gate right now, so uh, we have to wait. So we sat there for about half an hour, and then he started moving up, and then he stopped again for a little while. And then he says, well, they have to de-ice the other plane because there was actually snow outside. So then I'm doing this for a while. Then a little bit more movement and then stopping again. And then um, he said, well, folks, uh, the, uh, the gate that we were going to turn into, someone else pulled in there. So uh, we're going to wait till... You know. And I just started laughing because I was like, what is this, like the grocery store parking lot or something? You know, it's not an international airport. Like... <laughs> Like, I had my blinker on, and someone else, like, was more aggressive, you know. Um, so it just seemed kind of funny to me. But the person next to me during this entire, these series of announcements, getting more and more agitated about this, you know. And um, so when I started laughing, she looked at me, because obviously I'm having a very different reaction to this. Uh, so I told her, you know, this, why this seemed funny to me. Um, and uh, it's interesting, you know, with the mind of agitation just sort of folded that in to the same story and she was like yeah our pilot should have been more aggressive I don't understand why you know um, and uh, I was just noticing like we you know we're both stuck on this plane we were in row 20 you know so obviously we're not the pilot of the plane you know <laughs> and um, we're on Virgin America so actually you do have a little control but the control only operates occasionally the TV set in front of you you know it has nothing to do with actually operating the plane right uh, so, you know, here's, this is a case in which, like, we have no control over this situation. Um, so then the mind that is agitated, uh, there's no positive impact in any way. You know, it's like this, the, the mind is just getting agitated. Like, she's getting knocked, knocked off the seat in some ways, you know. Uh, but it's purely just um, 
dukkha, you know, it's just suffering. There's like stress and strain, and then you know, communicating that to the people next to you know, and, and stuff. And um, I was just noticing that, and just uh, you know, sort of appreciating, like, oh, the it's like, oh, that this is suffering, you know, in this moment. And there's so many ways in which this happens to us in our life, in which there's something that is not under our control at all. Actually, it's happening. It could be like you know, when you're sitting here. Uh, you know, traffic's going by, or um, when we were doing walking meditation, this guy was, me still there, he was like sitting on the stone out there and playing pop music on his cell phone, you know. Uh, So then, you know, unless you like the song, you might be like, what are you doing there? This is a meditation center, you should move, you know. Uh, But for me, it's all good practice, and it's a nice thing about sort of urban dharma centers, is there's no illusion of it's like everything is under our control, right? Like I'm, you know, operating all the noises around or uh, when you pay attention you're not even operating the experience of the body or you know the mind like different thoughts occur to you that were unscripted or uh, you get hungry before it's lunchtime so inconvenient or you know and it does seem like you have a little bit of control in some ways so it's like oh you can cut your fingernails for example right Uh, you can try and cut them square or file them or something but you can't control their growth really I mean, maybe you figure out some way, like if I eat more calcium or I don't know, you know, but basically like your fingernails are what they are and they're growing and they're part of your organic life form and there it is, you know. So like with the, you know, we have a little control like sort of for the TV set, I could change the channels, but it, it works sporadically, you know, in the plane. So then similarly, we have you know, a little bit that seems like agency, but really it's just like, oh, we're actually part of life. There's a part of being part of organic life and the flow of experience. That's true. Uh, in which there's a kind of railing against, too. So part of this Dharma practice that we're doing is paying attention to, well, what's actually true? Noticing what is actually under our control. In fact, and who is the sense of me who may or may not have control over anything, too? And the more that we're able to see that, uh, actually, see that, the truth of that, see into the nature of life, of experience, of ourselves, of identity, um, then the more and more we can live uh, free, really, you know, free of this agitation, free of this suffering that's kind of an add-on to how things are. Now, even if you live more uh, connected with that, it doesn't mean that everything is going to be perfect for you. But, you know, it's minus that level of uh, unnecessary strain, stress, suffering that uh, gets tacked onto that, to our lives, too. And uh, the whole system and the alignment can actually shift to much more spaciousness, much more freedom, uh, much more energy. Um, Also a sort of shifting from a very self-absorbed kind of way of looking at it, like me and my problem, to like, you know, a more holistic seeing what's going on uh, with others, with oneself and others, Um, seeing impact uh, and caring about that and having energy to put towards that as well. And it's not always easy, so it's called a practice. Uh, my favorite quote, though, about this uh, lately, about um, practice and about training, um, that some of you uh, who have come to my groups have heard me say, is actually from Bruce Lee, the uh, martial arts master, uh, who actually was from the Bay Area uh, at some point, lived in the Bay Area. And he said, uh, under duress, we do not rise to the level of our expectations, but we fall to the level of our training. So this is a good reason to practice. You know, it's a good reason to practice when uh, it seems like there's no reason to, or it seems like 
uh, you're not having a hard time because it will really serve you during the times that you are put to the test. And the truth is in life, we don't know when that's going to be. You know, we don't know when we're going to be challenged either on a daily basis by some conflict or in a bigger way by the kinds of things that happen in life that are out of our control. Uh, Finding out that you have a sickness or uh, having someone close to you die or losing your job or having a relationship break up. So training now will help us uh, be better equipped for all of the things that life throws at us uh, along the way. And then in the meantime, we'll be able to also actually enjoy much more. Enjoy and be present. So related to that, the enjoyment part too, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the eating meditation, uh, a.k.a. lunch. Uh, And this also can be a, a practice that we do of being present being present with our food. So sometimes you might notice that you get your lunch and you start to, to eat and then um, suddenly you notice again and it's gone, right? Like, you know, at the beginning you were like, oh, I'm really happy I brought this sandwich. You know, so then you take a bite and then meanwhile you start thinking about all kinds of things and then suddenly there's the wrapper. Like, wait, what happened to the sandwich, right? Um, So uh, our practice of awareness with uh, eating is to be present with all of the experience of eating. So the sights, the sound, the taste, everything as best we can. And then just noticing when the attention wanders, as it probably will, and then just bringing it back again. So it's really simple. I mean, like all of these practices are very simple. And uh, there's a Zen saying that's like, when, when sweeping, just sweep. You know, when washing, just wash. So when eating, just eat, right? Uh, Sounds easy, but it's not necessarily. So what this could look like is first, you know, you get your food and then um, take a moment to look at it. Like actually let yourself see the colors of it. Uh, And there's something different about doing that with awareness. So even now, like if you you look down at the, like the carpet, you know, maybe you've seen the carpet before, but, you know, have you really like seen the carpet? So if you actually take a moment with awareness to look at the carpet you can suddenly notice the shape of the different fibers and maybe that there's a variance of the color. You might notice some areas where there's some wearing down or dirt or... It at first looked all one color, but there's actually lighter and darker parts. So something like that, you know, it's like anything when you actually pay attention to it, and this is true of people also, and of, you know, it's like, well, when you pay attention, there's, there's more there than immediately meets the eye. So first you can just take a look at your food, see the food, right? Um, then actually, eating is fun because there's many different components to it, so you can actually smell the food. So even things you don't think has a smell, even like a cracker, you know, we don't think it's like extremely fragrant, but there's a smell to it, so why not smell it, see what that's like, right? So smell it and notice what that's like. Right? Then, of course, the part that you've been waiting for, you take a bite. So put the food in your mouth or a spoon like this. Um, and then just first taste what it's like. So feel the texture of the food. Right? It could be crunchy, soft, warm, hot. Feel the texture of it and then notice the taste of it. And it might taste different than what you expected. So this is a good practice of awareness, of mindfulness. is like uh, not eating your idea of the food, but eating the actual food. So not living in our ideas of how things are, but in the actuality of like this sandwich or this potato chip or whatever. So tasting it, chewing it, 
swallowing, and then noticing what it's like when that's gone. Right? Um, and then going for the next bite. So a helpful technique in eating meditation is to uh, actually put down the sandwich between bites or put down the spoon between bites. Right? It's hard to do because oftentimes our habitual tendency is kind of like load, load, <laughs> load and deliver, right? Uh, but uh, it doesn't take that long to do, and um, it'll give you a chance to actually experience it more. Right? If that seems incredibly impossible to you, do it at least for the first five bites, I'll say. Right? <laughs> Uh, and then you take the next bite and so on, right? And then notice as you're, you know, maybe the first bite you were like really present and then the next bite, there's sort of a way in which the mind is like, I know what that tastes like, I already tasted it. There's no need to pay attention. So then we start being like, I wonder how long this is going to last. Or, I wonder if I should buy a Dharma book. You know, you start thinking about what not, right? So whenever you've noticed that at whatever point, that's good, then just come back again. So in this way, kind of like we're using the breath as the main object of attention, actually the, the food, the experience of eating is the main place where we're training our attention. So be kind, forgive yourself for however many times you go out to lunch while eating lunch, <laughs> so to speak. Right? Uh, come back again, ground in that, you know, feeling it, tasting it, eating it. Right? So among the benefits of this are um, enjoying your food, actually, more, you know, than if you just took the first bite and then it was all gone until, you know, the, the last end of it. Um, so you can actually enjoy it. And you can notice also sort of the movement of mind, too, because there's an interesting movement of mind sometimes if it's a good sandwich or whatever it is, that sometimes we're, like, wanting more. Uh, and then we move into this interesting place in the mind where we're wanting more of an experience, but we're actually having the experience. You know, we're wanting more of the experience that we're actually having. So if we could just be present with it, we would have the thing that we're wanting. But, you know, so observe that little trick of mind as an interesting one. And it doesn't just happen during eating, too. So... <laughs> Check that out. It's a helpful one to get a, get a grip on, get a hang off. Uh, also, you tend to eat more like what is the correct amount for you, you know, because if we eat just by rote, you know, we eat like whatever happens to be on the plate or we just eat till it's all gone or something. And so you can just pay attention and hopefully not in a stressed out way, but just like, oh, how much of what do I need to eat? So I, I trained in some different monasteries in Sri Lanka um, in my uh, youth, my early part of my practice. And in some monasteries, they had this recommendation to eat until you're, uh, say, three bites short of full. So what does that mean? You know, like, how do you know that? Um, so you don't need to be incredibly, like, worried about that or stressed out about that, but just, you know, that, that idea of paying attention also. This is another way of being embodied, you know, like connecting to our body, to feeding our body. Uh, and it can be actually like an act of love. You know, it's an act of, of caring to do this, to feed yourself in this way. Right? Sometimes you notice what food agrees with you and doesn't agree with you, you know, when you're being aware and eating rather than if you were just doing it on rote. Right? And uh, I've taught this in some different uh, places, including some... Um, I've taught in some companies, you know, in which they have, like, free snacks, and some people have snacks that's, like, their favorite snack. Uh, but some of the people, when they've actually done this eating meditation with their favorite snacks, like, for example, one person brought this gummy worms in, you know, and then when they actually ate them, they were like, this is not even food. Like, this is like rubber. Like, I can't believe I've been eating this every day. Like, <laughs> you know. Uh, so you might learn new things, too, about the food in that way. So in the in the monastery um, where I practice, you know, for Buddhist monks and nuns in the tradition, this... Uh, 
centers and Theravada Buddhist tradition, uh, the very, very disciplined uh, order of monastics. So it's like extreme renunciation. Right? So if you're ordained, you give up uh, not only your name, so you get a new name at ordination, you get your head shaved, you give up your haircut, uh, you give up your clothes, you wear a robe, you know, one robe you get. Uh, you give up all possessions, uh, so you just have a bowl, which you uh, then get food in. Uh, you give up all money. Uh, you give up uh, watching uh, entertainment, music, movies, TV, etc. Or you give up sex also, celibacy. Uh, so, you know, basically it's like... Uh, it, for of, of many different monastic orders there, and many different religions and traditions, this is like extreme, you know, <laughs> really serious renunciation. And the idea is like actually... Uh, drive all desires into one. You know, it's kind of like keep focus. Like simplify your life and then just focus on what is important. So focus on practice, on liberation. Like uh, cut out all this extraneous stuff. So then as part of this simplifying too, uh, one of the unusual aspects is that uh, you have a bowl like this and uh, there's a rule that you can't eat after noon, after the midday. So you usually get fed sometimes twice before then sometimes you get a breakfast and a lunch but sometimes just once right so uh, you go out with the, the begging bowl and some places the monks and nuns go out with the begging bowl and then people in the villages will offer food for them right and then they go back to the monastery and eat in the monastery I was in uh, it was a meditation monastery and so they they kept us in the monastery and then um, people would come there and then serve us and it was actually a very beautiful and touching um, experience because uh, you just sit there with your bowl and people would put stuff in and you didn't have a choice really, you know. Like sometimes notice like, you know, trying to make some slight motion to try and, you know, get more of something or <laughs> be like, not that, not that, you know. It's like, nope, you just get what you get and then you eat it. So that also is a good practice of uh, renunciation and an unusual one, you know. It's not like you get to order off the menu or whatever. Uh, and then you, t- you take what is offered and... In that, there's actually a beautiful reciprocity between the uh, monastics uh, and then the lay community. You know, it's like a connection. It's like, oh, we are alive. And I was very aware. I was like, oh, I'm alive today to continue my practice because these people who I did not know uh, respect what I'm doing and want to support that and have come to feed me. And oftentimes people would come from like very poor villages, you know, like very poor places and um, they would offer like the best that they had. And it was just very moving. You know, it, it was a, a very uh, helpful part of the practice of interconnection. So it was also not like, oh, here's me doing my meditation practice, working out my, you know. Like, no, it was clear. It's like, oh, we're, we're in this together in, in some way. You know, and I'm, the practice that I do is not just for myself. It's for all of us. Uh, and also gratitude. You know, it's like, oh, I continue to be alive because people have shown up to feed me. Uh, and it's not personal, too. You know, it's just like supporting people who are doing the practice. So there's some way, even though if you have food that, you know, you went out to buy and this and that, and, you know, you picked it, um, there's still some way in which uh, it's good to reflect a little. Like, you know, everyone on the earth doesn't have food right now. You know, it's actually fortunate for us that we have food. Like, millions of people don't have food. Don't have good food, don't have uh, healthy food, or don't have food at all, right? 
And then even to get the food here, it's actually taken a lot of different efforts. You know, like it grows in some field and someone has had to pick that, which is like back-breaking, difficult labor, you know, to do. And then someone's had to put that in a transport and move it here. Then someone had to prepare that and cut it up and cook it. Someone sold it to you, you know. So it's like, oh, wow, there's actually been so many different acts of human effort, you know, and even acts of, like, animal effort, of, like, fertilizing of the fields or the little worms aerating the ground, you know, the sun, the rain, the, you know, like all this stuff, it just came together, and here it is that uh, now I eat this, and this thing that then was not me sort of becomes me. That's a very interesting part of the whole experience, too. Like, you know, we have this idea of myself. Here's me, and here is the sandwich. The sandwich is not me, right, right now. Then you eat the sandwich, and then where's the sandwich? Oh, it's in me, or it's me, right? <laughs> like, it actually nourishes you. It becomes your body, you know? You drink this water, it, like, becomes the fluid in your body, right? Like, becomes that. And, uh, so it, it's interesting, like, breaking down of that division between, like, what's the, the, this membrane between me and other, or me and nature, or even me and other people, you know, it's like, so in that way it's like, oh wow, there's a way in which like, I'm alive because of all these other forces too, you know, it's not just me doing this myself. So, but you know, you, do, you can do a little bit of reflection on that, but then primarily I would encourage you to um, experience the food, like experience the eating, like direct awareness of, uh, of the food and eating, and um, then also, you know, whatever it is else you need to do, we'll take an hour, say, an hour is a good amount of time, isn't it? That's usually standard here. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, if you want to stretch or something, or if you want to sit some more, if you want to take a walk, try to be aware, you can do that. Um, and you can decide if you came with a friend, if you want to, uh, you could eat together and be silent, or if you want to eat together and talk, go somewhere else, like some benches or something like that. Even if you came with a friend and you want to eat together, I would recommend do the first few bites of like trying to be aware of the food just as an interesting exercise. Right? Yeah, and then relatedly also, if you have to leave at the, before we come back for the afternoon, uh, which I hope you do not, because we'll be doing interesting things, uh, then uh, I invite you to practice this, this practice of generosity, you know, this uh, making donations for the center, for the teacher, um, there's a way in, in this uh, tradition in which the, because the monastic tradition has become, is like this, that the lay teachers also are asked to teach in this way too. So we become part of this system. So basically we uh, offer the teachings and then put out the begging bowl, which is sort of the box with a the slot there, you know. Uh, and in that then uh, we become supported. So it supports the requisites of what we need, food, clothing, medicine, shelter, right? Um, so it's kind of a collective support for the Dharma as it comes into the West, uh, as well as for uh, this great place that offers so many teachings, and then uh, for for the teacher, too, to enable to do this. And so I appreciate very much your support uh, to continue to do this, and I'm very aware that my own life continuing is because of so many different people uh, who offer support for me to do this. So, uh, I'll pause there. Um, I'll see if anyone has any logistical questions first.